That is a tough act to follow. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's truly a joyous noise. Good to hear it this morning. Well, this morning we're going to look at the life of Timothy. Now, as I was preparing for the message for this week and next week, I, found, I have to say I found Timothy a challenging person to study. Challenging per, a person to look for, I mean, certainly a great example, but difficult to study his character. Because Timothy is one of those people that we hear very much written about. There's a lot written to him. But we don't actually see of him saying anything. There are no actual recorded words of Timothy. And yet at the same time, Timothy was a very remarkable man. In fact, he was such a godly man that Paul says there was no one like him. He writes in Philippians, for I have no one like-minded. And Paul calls him his true son in the faith. If there was something that Paul wanted done, if there was any task or mission that needed to be accomplished, Paul sent Timothy. Now, for anyone who's been going through the first Corinthians class, you'll know that the Corinthian church has some serious problems. But um, this is a place where Paul could send Timothy. He writes in 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And a quote from another epistle. This is when Paul was fearing for the Thessalonian church, which was going some, through some tough persecution. Paul again writes, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought good to be left in Athens alone. and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, there are not many people that we trust as much. A lot of times we feel like, you know, we want something done right, we want to do it by ourselves. The fact was, Paul, though, he was already doing so much, he couldn't be everywhere at once. And where Paul could not be, that's where he sent Timothy. We see that when, uh, in the epistle to the Philippians, you know, Paul was in prison, but he could send Timothy, he could send Timothy to minister to the church there. But I want to get ahead of ourselves. This is Timothy in later years. And we're going to look at him in those times next week. But uh, today, we're going to look at the early Timothy, the calling of Timothy. The first appearance of Timothy is in Acts chapter 16. So let's turn there. We're going to read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. This is referring to the continuing uh, travels of Paul. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of, the, because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew 
that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, just looking at these verses by themselves, it almost looks like that Timothy appears on the scene abruptly. Paul comes to Leicester and Derby, and all of a sudden there is this disciple named Timothy there. But it's not like he appeared out of thin air. The cities of, of Derby and Leicester were last mentioned in Acts 14. Now, Paul, when he was still with Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas had a, made a visit there sometime before. And the way they got there was this. Paul and Barnabas had originally been ministering in the city of Iconium, which is not far away from Leicester and Derby. But when some persecution arose in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, it said, fled to Leicester and Derby and were ministering there and preaching the gospel there. And at least in the city of Derby, it says that Paul and Barnabas made many disciples. Now, at this point, some time passes. Paul and Barnabas go back to ministering to Antioch. Paul also spends some time in Jerusalem. But then by the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul decides he wants to head back to that area. You see him in Acts 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And this is why at the start of chapter 16, we see Paul back in Leicester and Derby. He wanted to do some follow-up with the people he had been ministering to in the years before. And in the process of following up, he found Timothy. It says that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren in Leicester and Iconium. He's probably very young at this time. He's probably in his late teens, perhaps the most in his early 20s. And we know this because um, if you look at the epistle of 1 Timothy later on, Paul writes to him, let no one despise your youth. So even um, when Timothy was ministering at the time years later, he was still a young man, possibly in his early 30s by then. So what would, what would have made Timothy well-spoken of by the brethren in Leicester and Iconium? Well, I think he was probably doing a lot of work for the Lord already, as young as he was. Perhaps he was already doing some preaching and teaching. Perhaps he was someone who shared at the breaking of bread on a regular basis. Maybe he was one of those visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. And all, along with all the service, though, he was doing it with a Christ-like character. He wasn't doing a, a grudging service. He was cheerfully giving of himself to the Lord. It's not like Timothy was some quiet kid sitting in a back pew. He was, doing, he, was, he was involved in some active service for the Lord, and he was doing it with a godly attitude. Otherwise, he would not have caught Paul's attention. And it wasn't just from anyone that Paul was hearing a good report about Timothy. We know that Paul had a hand in appointing elders in the city of Lystra. That's probably from these elders, these men that Paul trusted, that he was hearing a good report. 
Now, how did Timothy get this way? Godly, faithful young men and women, they're not just born again one day and they don't just appear out of thin air. Let's just take, let's take a brief look at Timothy's parents. The interesting thing is we know next to nothing about Timothy's father. We just know he was Greek. We don't even know if he was saved or not, and there's no um, mention of him receiving any spiritual input from his father. But we do know that his mother and his grandmother were believers, and very strong ones. Second Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy of the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. And later in the same letter in 2 Timothy 3.15, we know that Timothy has from his childhood known the scriptures. I think his mom and his grandmother, they probably spent a lot of time training Timothy up in this way. I bet they started early. I remember back when I was a kid, really a little kid, uh, my mom would uh, read to my sister and I before we went to sleep. I'm thinking... Timothy's mother and his grandma spent a lot of time in the Word in their home. Timothy was probably one of those saved as a result of Paul and Barnabas' ministry in Derby and Lystra. It could have been he heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas directly and was saved as a result from their preaching. Or it could have been that his mother and grandmother came to know the Lord first and brought him to the Lord. We don't know for sure. And it's not quite clear how many years pass exactly between Paul's first coming to those cities and his return here now in Acts 16. It could be several years. But from early on, since Timothy was saved, it was obvious he was going to lead a different kind of life than other people. There were actually prophecies made concerning Timothy. Let's turn for just a moment to 1 Timothy 1.18. First Timothy 1.18, Paul says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So what were these prophecies? What did the, what did the Lord say concerning Timothy? Now, Paul himself had prophecies made concerning him. When the Lord spoke to Ananias, the man who was told to restore Paul's sight, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, with Timothy, we don't know exactly what these prophecies were. They're not, they're not stated specifically in Scripture. We know from 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, that Timothy had a gift given him by prophecy, but it's not actually stated what is a gift exactly. It seems to be that these prophecies were common knowledge, though, among Paul and other believers. At the very least, these prophecies perhaps went something like this. Timothy, 
is going to be used up by the Lord. And the Lord has gifted him for this very purpose. And so when Paul the Apostle came along, asking Timothy to come with him, this would have been something very exciting for Timothy. Because I'll bet when he was young, he must have been wondering, how are these prophecies concerning him going to be fulfilled? And now when Paul comes along, asking for him to come with him, he saw these prophecies being fulfilled. That's the start of it. He's going to get the chance to serve the Lord in a mighty way. But then there was something he, had to get, he underwent first before he went off with Paul. It says in verse 3 that Paul took Timothy and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. Now, without going into detail, it's enough to say that circumcision is a painful process. Now, it says Paul took Timothy and circumcised him. So certainly it was probably Paul's idea, but the fact is that Timothy was willing to go along with it. That really speaks strongly of his character. If I were in Timothy's position and Paul brought the suggestion to me of being circumcised, I might have some hesitation at first. I might be thinking, Paul, is this really necessary? I mean, I've already been serving the Lord. I mean, can't I preach the gospel without being circumcised? Do I really have to do this? So why did Timothy do it? Timothy did this for the Lord's sake, for the spread of the gospel. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Just going to read a few verses. Verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Now these are some, these are some of the verses that, that Timothy was living out through a circumcision. Timothy wasn't circumcised to fulfill any requirements of the law. just want to make that clear. It says, in, you can read all over, all over in Galatians, you know, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. You know, Timothy wasn't getting circumcised so he could be saved. He was already saved. He knew on what his salvation rested, on the gospel. But circumcision was going to help him in his ministry. Sometimes it can, be, it can be difficult to approach someone with the word of God. Someone can easily put up a wall because of differences. 
You know, someone can easily shoot back, you know, well, that's all well and good for you, but you have no idea where I'm coming from. How can you possibly talk to me about what is really important in my life? Perhaps someone is of a different race or culture, and they can deflect a gospel presentation by saying, well, you're not really one of us. Who are you to talk to us about our spiritual condition? Now, Timothy, because of his birth, he had some things that would have made it more difficult for him to do the work of an evangelist as effectively as he could have. As I mentioned before, Timothy was a mixed birth. He had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother. And already, um, his family might have been frowned upon, well, would have been frowned upon among Jewish circles at the time because his mother had married a non-Jewish man. I consulted our resident expert on Hebrew culture, no add on this. And, you know, at the time, someone like Timothy, someone like uh, Timothy's family, they might have been seen as betraying their Jewish heritage. It's written all over the Old Testament. The Lord had forbidden the Jewish people to marry among the Gentiles. And Timothy may not have been ostracized, but, you know, being half Greek and half Jewish, he would have been something of an anomaly. Perhaps like someone um, in the Deep South in the 1800s who was born of uh, African American, one African American parent and a white parent. A Jewish person might have looked at Timothy and thought to himself, well, he's not really one of us. And this is why Timothy became circumcised. For the gospel's sake, the gospel might be preached to the Jews that he might be able to identify with the Jews. Yes, I really am one of you. I know where you're coming from, and I can talk to you about Jesus. He's not just my Lord and Savior. He's your Lord and Savior. He's our Lord and Savior, our Messiah. And this would have spoken loudly to the Jews in the region, I think the Jewish community in that region must have been fairly close-knit at the time because everyone knew um, who Timothy's father was, that he wasn't Jewish, and they knew that Timothy was not circumcised. But when they heard that Timothy had become circumcised, this must have raised a question in their minds. Why would he do that at that age? It's very likely that Timothy's becoming circumcised aroused these questions in the minds of Jewish people and probably made, led to a lot of opportunities for the gospel that would not have existed otherwise. And many people, like Timothy, throughout the history of the church, they've applied these verses in 1 Corinthians in some way or another. And we have missionaries who take on the language and customs of the people they're trying to reach. You know, Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China in the 1800s, he was known for taking the Chinese dress, even the Chinese hairstyle, the long ponytail, that he might be able to reach the Chinese people in a closer way. And it was something like this that made him a lot more approachable to the Chinese people than if he had stayed like in his Western clothing. But let's ask, ask ourselves, how can I apply these verses in 1 Corinthians to myself in the Bay Area in 2011? You know, how can I become 
as weak as to the weak? How can I become all things to all men? Or are these verses only good for missionaries? And just to make clear from the outset, you know, becoming all things to all men involves adapting yourself to you know, the cultures and customs and interests of the people around that you're trying to reach. But at no time do you want to compromise yourself or anything in Scripture. Now, here in America, it may not be learning a new language or taking on a different style of dress, but certainly learning a new language can help sometimes. There's plenty of people in the States still that don't speak English. But there's a lot of small ways where you can become all things to all men. Perhaps you're trying to reach a family that you know is vegetarian. You want to have them over for dinner, exercise some hospitality towards them, reach, reach out to them in this way. Well, it's probably time for you to become vegetarian, at least for one day. You might look at the general culture of the neighborhood around you. Perhaps you know that a lot of people in your neighborhood have an interest in soccer. Now, you yourself might have absolutely no interest in soccer. In fact, you might dislike the sport itself. But if you want to become a fan of, if you want to become a fan of soccer for the gospel's sake, well, you might be able to easily start up a conversation with your neighbors. It might lead to a friendship with the neighbors. And who knows what kind of gospel opportunity might come from that. Now, Timothy's becoming a Jew. To win Jews, of course, involved a much greater sacrifice than anything I just mentioned. And you know, it wasn't an easy thing, as mentioned. And it was an eternal perspective that made it easier for Timothy to do this. Well, there were souls at stake here. People needed to be saved. People needed to hear the gospel. People needed to know that Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And if doing this was going to help him preach the gospel, then he would do it. Also in Timothy's circumcision, though, we see a real obedience on his part to the Lord. You know, as I mentioned, something like getting circumcised, this is not an easy thing to go through. But he took it as a will, will of the Lord, and as a good bondservant of the Lord, he wanted to do the Lord's will. There's a submission in his life we don't see too often. You know, a lot of things can make us afraid of doing things for the Lord. We think, but, Lord, that's going to be painful. Lord, that's going to cost me. We don't see any, we don't see any hesitation on Timothy's part. He just goes along with this. Then there's the very fact that Timothy set off with Paul in the first place. It shows a great deal of godly ambition and him being courageous for the Lord's sake. Let's go up to that day where Paul approached Timothy, where Paul came up to Timothy and said, Timothy, I'd like you to come with me. I'd like you to help me in the work of the Lord. What was that day like? It can be a tough thing for a lot of people to leave home for the first time, move away from mom and dad, from everyone you know. Now, we don't know. Perhaps Timothy already had a full-time job at the time, a full-time career. Perhaps he was very successful at it. 
but he would have had to give up all these things in going along with Paul. And Timothy really did not know where Paul's service to the Lord would take him. Now, I don't think Paul minced words when he asked Timothy to come along. I think Timothy knew it wasn't going to be easy. And this wasn't just some short-term trip Timothy was going on. He, he didn't know really when or if ever he would, he would be coming back to Leicester and Derby. And as I mentioned before, Paul's travels were not going to be easy. And just a couple of chapters back in Acts 14, and we see that Paul had been stoned and he had been left for dead at Lystra. Let's turn for a moment to 2 Corinthians 11. This is what Paul could say of his travels in later years. We're just going to read verses 24 to 28 of chapter 11. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Now, if you just looked at a summary of Paul's travels like that, how many of you would be eager to go along on a road trip with Paul? <laughs> now, of course, this is, a, this is in later years, so, I mean, not all this had happened to Paul by the time he approached Timothy. But, you know, I'm sure Timothy probably did know about the time when Paul was stoned outside of Lystra. And this will have given a lot of hesitation to people about serving the Lord with Paul. Add to this to the fact that, you know, Timothy may not have been the strongest person physically. And we know from the epistle of First Timothy, it's mentioned that he had frequent infirmities. He may have been on the more sickly side, more frail side. I'm sure Timothy counted the cost. But after doing so, he went ahead Follow, follow Paul in serving the Lord. And the results of Timothy coming along with Paul, they speak for themselves. Let's turn back to Acts 16 for a moment. seems like Timothy had an immediate positive effect on Paul's ministry. At the end of the chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5 again, And as they, and they being now Paul, Silas, and now Timothy, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, 
which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, as we look at Timothy, as, we set out, as he set off on his journeys with Paul, and something you have to admire about him is how he seized his youth as that opportunity to serve the Lord. As I mentioned, he was young. He was in his possibly late teens, leaving home for he didn't know where. You know, for a lot of us, for a lot of people who are on the younger side, or really at any time in our lives, you know, youth is, can be a subjective term. A lot of things are kind of war between that war in your mind, like, man, is there t- time to serve the Lord and time to do work? And I, I remember early on when I was saved, I was 21 when I was saved in college, I remember early on I was divided between you know, doing things for the Lord and at the same time tending to what I thought were my own needs, tending to school, to work. And I, you know, I had a little thought in my mind. I thought, well, you know, it's, um, it's going to be easier to serve the Lord after I'm all done with school. You know, then I don't have to worry about paying rent. I'll have a full-time job and won't have to worry about that. But then, it's kind of funny. Now that I'm working, I realize you know things come up, take up your time, even when you're working full-time. And that eight to ten-hour day might be kind of tiring. You may not be up to doing much after the work day. Well, then perhaps a thought might cross your mind. Well, perhaps, perhaps it'll be easier to serve the Lord when I'm married. After that, after that I'll have you know, someone to co-labor with. But that may not be true either. You know, from what I've observed, it can be easier for a single person to serve the Lord. And marriage takes a lot of long, hard work. And not just long, hard work in a relationship, but, you know, if you have kids, they take up a lot of time. And not that having kids is a bad thing. And, you know, time just keeps passing by like this. After that, you might be thinking, well, okay, well, I'll serve the Lord after the kids are all grown up and have their own jobs or, yeah, taking care of themselves. And then you might cross that line to, well, maybe it'll be easier to serve the Lord after I'm retired. And I'll have all day to serve the Lord, no more 40-hour week. Okay, that's a problem though. You're retired, you might be mid late sixties. At this point, you may not be up to doing much for the Lord. You don't know what kind of shape your body is going to be in at that time. At the time. <coughs> and the fact is, you know, there's really never going to be a so-called convenient time to serve the Lord. And by the time you think of that perfect time, your whole life will have gone by. Really, the perfect time to serve the Lord is when you're still young. When you've got the most energy, you have the most strength, you're, you're sharpest mentally. Now, I'm not that old. You know, I'm only 32. But I can still remember sometimes, you know, I, I know I can feel some small ways where I'm slowing down already. And you know, I can think back, I kind of wonder in my college days, you know, did I really utilize every opportunity to serve the Lord or to witness as I could have? And honestly, there's a few times I regret King Solomon, in his later years, after he squandered many of the best years of his life, 
in pursuing the things of the world, not the things of the Lord. He said this in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's ask ourselves today, what am I doing with the precious time the Lord has given me? Am I using the best years of my life for myself or for the Lord? Because, you know, I might invest a lot of my time, my energy, and my career, and okay, I might make a six-digit salary eventually, but you know, in a thousand years, no one's going to care about that. But then we look at an example like Timothy. You know, for eternity, Timothy's going to be remembered as a man of God who served the Lord faithfully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example you gave us in the life of your servant Timothy, and we pray that you would show us, Lord, how to best to utilize the best years of our lives in this way in serving you. And we pray also, Lord, you might give us wisdom in how we can become all things to all men, reaching out to those around us. Lord, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.